you, God, that that is true. And it is something that will change our lives forever. So as we unpack your word this morning and recognize how powerful it is, we thank you that we can come and celebrate the truth of your word, communicate it, and then live it out. So allow us to do that today as we unpack your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, I love how that song builds as it goes through. How many of you just sent a child off to college this year? Anybody? In the last couple of years. How many of you have sent a child off to college in the last couple of years? Anybody for the very first time? A couple of you. I want to read a letter from a girl who went quite a distance away from home to college, hadn't seen her parents in a while. She writes this. Dear Mom and Dad, I know it's been a while since I've written, but I've been really busy. Lots happened since I left home. You know all those credit card companies that try to get you to get a college kid to get a credit card? Well, I did. Got a couple. Ran up a few thousand dollars before I knew it. I got so scared to tell you and Dad that I dropped out of college so I could get a job and pay them off. On the way to work one day, I had a horrible accident. While recovering, I met a really cute physical therapist who asked me to marry him. And I did. And now guess what? You're going to be grandparents. <laughs> Actually, Mom, none of that's true. I got a D in physics. <laughs> but I thought in light of how things could have been, this maybe wouldn't seem so bad. <laughs> how many of you, if you actually got a letter like that, would have never got to that last paragraph? <laughs> You'd have been in a car on your way to that college or wherever she was at that point. You know as well as I do, life doesn't always go as planned. And no matter how bad it gets, could be worse. And sometimes, just sometimes, that good that goes bad could be bad for a good reason. But you've got to believe and you've got to trust God through it all and be willing to allow him to take you to the other side. I don't know if you know this or not, but most of the Bible could fall in two basic categories. The way to God and your walk with God. The way to God and your walk with God. Scripture very clearly tells us how to find God. Once we do, it teaches us how to walk with Him. And probably no other New Testament books gives a better idea of that than James. In trying to help us understand our walk from God and our walk with God. If you're going to give advice to someone, let me ask you a question. Would you rather get it from someone who's just giving you theories from a book or someone who's living it out? I mean, I'd rather have the practical. Don't tell me what you think I ought to do. Tell me what you did. I went to a seminar a number of years ago from a guy who was talking about marriage and raising children and all of that. And I found out he had absolutely, number one, not a whole depth in his theology, but didn't have any kids and, by the way, wasn't married. And I thought, well, wait a minute, you're telling me all, and, and they're real, and I get that. In some contexts, I understand it. But this guy was given all kinds of advice that he thought maybe would work, as opposed to somebody that's living it out and fleshes it out every day. When I was exploring options to earn a doctorate a number of years ago, I settled on Regent University in Virginia Beach area. My uh, guy that was helping me get settled and get in and get in the program and all that says, says I, I, I've got two options for you if you want to earn a doctorate. One is a research degree, and one is a practical application degree. Which one do you want? <laughs> I'm going, I want practical application. I'm not good at research or even understanding where it's going to take me. But I really wanted to know what worked and how I could make it work in my local context. Over the last number of weeks, we've been in an Old Testament series with people who really are living it out. 
They're not talking philosophy or religion. They're really living it out day to day with all the challenges that go with that. That's why it was so important that we understand that our study of the Word of God is more than a storybook, more than something we read to make us feel better, more than something we do out of habit or obligation. You don't read the Word of God or study the Word of God or unpack the Word of God because it's something you're supposed to do. Or now I had my devotions, I read a Bible story this morning, I read a few verses this morning, but it's God's letter to the people that he loves and adored, people that he gave his life for. It's his story, your story, my story that God wants to share with us so that we can grow in that relationship with him. We get to see the heart of God in the word of God. We get to find out what God really feels. We get to find out what God's really like. And all the way through the New Testament, as you begin to explore it over and over again and see Jesus walk through the pages of history, and you've had that question all through your mind, maybe growing up somewhere along the way, what does God really look like? What is God really like? And then all of a sudden, and you're in my lifetime, I mean, what a thrill that we're born on this side of the cross, on this side of Calvary, where we get the opportunity to see Scripture and read Scripture and really find out, honestly, what God really is like. That God does love us and care about us and wants a relationship with us. And wants us to understand how to live the life that he's calling us to. He's not just saying, hey, give it your best shot. Do your best. But I'm going to show you how and I'm going to give you examples of other people who've gone through really difficult circumstances. And allow you to learn how to live it out. Paul said to Timothy, look, I need you to understand that all of Scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that every man of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's an incredible promise. It's alive, it's relevant, it's powerful. It's where we get life, wisdom, encouragement, direction, and guidance. So that's why we want to be in the Word of God. Now, there are a lot of things different about Community Alliance. If you're visiting us for the first time or the last few weeks, you'll notice there are maybe some things you're not familiar with. And I'm going to ask you this morning as we start this series to invite a friend. Say to them, I'd love for you to come to Community Alliance. I know you're looking. Maybe you have not gone to church for a while, but I'd love to come and, and with you so that you can come to ours. I just need you to know it may be a little different than what you're used to. And I don't think we do that well. I grew up in a family context that was Roman Catholic. I went to a very staid and proper Presbyterian church, got involved in high school where I went from everything from mainline to evangelical to Pentecostal and jumping to pews. So I kind of seen it all, but what I have found out in my years of experience, and even in the last couple of years here at Community Alliance, is that we don't always do as best as I can to help you prepare for the culture shock that you just experienced when you walked in on a Sunday morning, and it's vastly different from where you were when you were a kid. I've had the privilege over the last few years, even as of yesterday, going to a, a very formal setting in another church in town that was Roman Catholic, and I didn't know a lot of what was going on. I remembered it from my years growing up and a lot of other settings, and, but I didn't get it. I didn't, couldn't sing along and all of that, and then I come here this morning, and I sing with everything because I've been here for the last 22 years. But not all of us have, and I want to be sensitive to that. So for some of you, it may be very dramatically different this morning, and when you invite your friends, tell them that. Let them know. Not everybody does this on Sunday morning. We're not being held up. There's, you know, 
Every once in a while, a guy up front will raise his hand. He's got a crooked finger, so don't look at that. But just, you know, he just wants to express his love to God, and others don't do that. You'll notice that a lot of people stand, and some don't in certain songs. All of that's fine. But try to help them understand. Is that fair? Because I know a lot of us come from different backgrounds. 50% of our people come from Roman Catholic backgrounds. Every time I do uh, a membership class, we do a soft survey, and they all come from that background, and I do as well. And it's a pretty dramatic shift from what you're used to when you come here. So invite them, encourage them, help them prepare for that process. What we do here every once in a while, and I do it a lot, all of my ministry life, but especially the last 15 years, is instead of looking for a topic and then trying to find a section of Scripture that explains it, I take Scripture and unpack a lot of it and look for all the topics in it. And this morning we're going to do something we only do once or twice a year, start a brand new series. It's in the book of James. Have your Bible? Turn there. James is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to people going through really deep waters. The church had exploded far beyond their capacity to process it, far beyond their capacity to bring them all in and help them best understand what they're going through. But people are coming to Jesus by the groves. Peter preaches right after Jesus ascended to heaven and the power of God fell. 3,000 plus people came to faith in Christ. I mean, that's a pretty good Sunday when 3,000 people come to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, they're trying to figure out how do we fit them in church? And then just before you know it, or before you even know it, one of the main leaders of the church is stoned to death, and the church gets scattered. They had all come to Jerusalem for a particular celebration. That's why thousands of them were there, and the Spirit of God landed. They kind of wondered what it was all about. Peter gets up, who always didn't have the right thing to say, now has the right thing to say, and thousands come to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the church begins to go in so many different directions, and everybody goes back home. They're afraid now what's going to happen, because they've heard not only has Stephen been arrested and then executed, other people are being drugged out of their homes and thrown in jail because they're followers of Christ. What do we do? i, I got to imagine that you had a pretty average week this past week. These guys haven't had one, and they're trying to figure it out. I've said over the last few weeks, if you would imagine yourself being in Puerto Rico and, and Mexico or in some of these areas that have been devastated, 63 Alliance churches in Puerto Rico alone, Nyack College has a seminary and a college there, and it's devastated. I mean, they say there'll be months before they even get electricity, gas, everything is running out. So imagine what it's like to have your whole world in a moment change. And so you want advice. What do I do? How do I deal with all of this? And then you have a writer by the name of James who comes in and says, look, I want you to consider it pure joy when you face a variety of challenges. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, now they may not know that yet, he wants them to know and understand that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And perseverance has to finish its work. So that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under those challenges, under that trial. Because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This morning I want to lay the foundation for the book. I want to talk a little bit about James, people he writes to in his style. A pastor friend of mine called James. Straight talk for real people 
who have real faith trying to do real life. He's not going to talk a lot about theology, philosophy. He's going to talk about faith. Going to talk about how it works. Not overanalyze it, but really give the challenges. Help them understand how to apply it in their everyday life. You ever been around somebody who just analyzes everything to death? You ever notice that every time there's a crisis in America, no matter what it is, they'll bring out 10 former something and they'll put them on every TV program you can imagine and just analyze the circumstances to death. James is not one of those. He's not going to talk about theory or philosophical discussions about life or God. These people are too involved in doing life and wrestling with real issues to sit around and talk about theory. They're not in the classroom. They're in the game. They really want to know what works. Ever talk to a combat veteran and ask him this question? What was it like when you went to boot camp? And then what was it like when you went to Afghanistan or Iraq? Now, not every one of them ever have done that. But if you talk to a combat veteran and you ask them the question, what was it like when you went to boot camp? And they were telling you what it was going to be like someday when you get over there. And now that you come back after your first or second or third tour from Iraq or Afghanistan, what was it really like? We've got a lot of police officers in our building every once in a while, part of our fellowship here, part of our Community Alliance Church family. And if you've ever asked one of those, can I ask you the difference between being on the range and having someone shoot at you? They would pretty much know how to tell you the difference between being on the range to qualify and having someone shoot at them. A number of years ago, I been involved in law enforcement and with them for a number of years and I had a friend who was an instructor as a firearms instructor and he said hey our guy just finished qualifying you want to see what it's like I'm going I'm in so I got all the weapons and you sit there and he puts you in the car the real car and put your hands on a steering wheel and you've got handgun a shotgun and an AR and all this kind of a stuff and he said okay when I tap on the roof I want you to get out and do this target do that target put that in grab the holster put it back grab the shotgun do this do I'm just thrilled out of my mind you know I've got a smile on my face bigger than Christmas kind of a thing. And I'm going through all of these mechanical things and I'm just having a blast. And he said, okay, now what I want you to do is go over there, run around the building four times, come back and have me do this. Do the whole thing again. Your adrenaline's pumping. Your heart's racing. You feel like it's going to explode. And then he said, imagine if all of those targets were shooting at you. That's real life. I'm going, I'd have been under the car. An athlete who's trying to figure out how to be able to do the best he possibly can in the fourth quarter at the end of the game doesn't really want to know about X's and O's and what he thought was going to work in the locker room. He wants to know, what do we do? Which is why I could not believe last week when the Penn State guy actually threw the touchdown to Iowa in the last seconds of the game. We actually turned the game off when Iowa scored their touchdown, thinking there's no way they're going to come back from that. What am I thinking? The game runs 60 minutes got to stay to the end. It's not about what you do in the middle. It's about how you end. Not about getting more information. We got so much information in our life, we don't know what to do with it. James says, look, I need you to understand what to do with the information you already have. So many people want more information, one more book, one more seminar. James is basically saying, look, put into practice actually what you understood about God, what he can do in your life, what he can do for you, because you're going to face some really difficult circumstances, and I want you to do the best you can to be able to stay in it, stay with Christ, not abandon him, not walk away, stay to the end, because I'm telling you, it will be amazing when you get out the other side. Our faith has to be something more than just what we do on Sunday morning. 
We need a faith that works on Tuesday at work. We need a faith that works on Thursday at home. A faith that is noticeable and really, really works. James knows he's addressing people who want a faith that works every day of the week, especially when they're going through deep times. Paul and Peter both promise us that God will give us everything we need for life and godliness. It is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good purpose. But that doesn't mean that we don't have the responsibility for our spiritual development to do everything we possibly can to embrace all that God teaches us and then live it out in our everyday living, not just put it on a shelf after we leave church on Sunday morning. A lot of people want to get better. They just want a real quick answer to that. That's why self-help books sell out so quickly. You know which ones sell best? Six easy steps to five sure ways. Not a whole lot of people would buy books that say five really, really, really difficult steps for emotional well-being. Ten painful principles for losing weight. We want to be able to lose weight overnight while we sleep so that if I take that pill, I wake up in the morning ten pounds lighter. It's awesome. I had a friend a number of years ago, I hadn't seen him for a long time, he same, came in contact and obviously he had put on a significant amount of weight. He said to me, how did you not? And I said, well, I watched what I ate, I exercised a little, and I have an enormous amount of stress. And he goes, any other options? I'd love to know those. <laughs> I want to talk about James for a moment. There are a number of James mentioned in Scripture. The most well-known, of course, the three that hung around Jesus the most he had a lot of people that obviously were followers of his, 70, 72, that were pretty intense, pretty close. He sent them out and prayed over them and empowered them to do ministry. And then, of course, the 12 disciples that we're most familiar with. And then the three in the real inner circle, G James, Peter, and John. And then, of course, the one that Jesus loved the most, which was whom? John. And I love the fact that John is the one telling everybody that. I'm Jesus' favorite. <laughs> Just love that. This is another James. This is probably, most likely, a brother of Jesus. That James that I referred to a moment ago was martyred early. This James grew up with Christ. In Mark chapter 6, it said, Jesus left there, went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and a lot of people who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they said? Well, what kind of wisdom is this that's been given to him? He even does miracles. Isn't this Jesus the carpenter? Isn't it Mary's son, brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? That's this Jesus. That's this James. I don't know about you, but I always try to read Scripture with imagination. We see so very little about the early life of Christ. We obviously are going to celebrate in a few weeks his birth and what that entails. A few months after that, his death and resurrection from the cross and the grave. And then that little mention of him at age 12, I've often wondered in my mind, I would have loved to have a conversation with this James. What was it really like having Jesus as a brother? I mean, what was it like growing up in a home with Jesus everywhere and Jesus all around you? I mean, when Mary came running into the room after hearing a crash and asked, who did it? Which one of you would say, Jesus did it? I mean, who would say that? And then when you looked at all the kids... And you knew you were going to say, okay, Jesus, I want you to tell me the truth. Who really did it? You know Jesus is going to tell the truth, right? 
I've often wondered what it was like after they began to experience what Christ was doing and saw all the miracles taking place and knew that he was a miracle-working Messiah, if they ever went to him and said, why didn't you do that when we were kids? When it broke, couldn't you have fixed it? Y'all, do you read scripture with imagination like that? <laughs> kind of scares you that I do, right? <laughs> John indicates at one point that this James, the brother of Jesus, didn't see him as a Messiah. And then somewhere in this journey, embraced him as a Savior. And recognized that he was the one I grew up with, the one I'd been around, the one I ignored, really was the Son of God. Paul says that James, this author, that one there, became a leader in the early church. James, Peter, and John, Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, reputed to be pillars of the church. Gave me Barnabas in the right hand of fellowship. James' style of speaking was to the point, never beating around the bush. He would say things like this. You say you believe in God, right? Big deal, so do demons. And matter of fact, they seem to respect God more than you do. I mean, James would be in your grill on a regular basis. Don't just tell me that you go to church on Sunday. Let me really see it. As a matter of fact, I work with you. I see how you react to the people around you. I'm having a hard time believing that you really are the follower of Christ that you say you are. I've seen how you talk. I've listened, I've listened to your stories, and I've watched you react to people and circumstances. I'm not really sure that the Jesus you say you're following would kind of be like that on a regular basis. So it's kind of hard for me to process the fact that you say you're a follower of Christ. Now, none of you would ever be in that category, but I got to believe there are people that you know that claim to be followers of Christ who go to church on a Sunday morning but do not live like it on Tuesday. James would be in their grill. What good is it? Can I be really honest with you? What good is it if you claim you have faith and I don't see evidence of that? Can that faith save you? Don't tell me about your faith. Let me see it. Don't tell me that you have faith in God. I want to see it fleshed out. If I go to an apple tree and I know it's an apple tree, I got to believe that I'm going to pick an apple off of that tree. If I go to a pear tree, I know it's not an apple tree because it's got a pear on it. I can see that. I know it's bearing fruit. I recognize that. I don't see that in your life. Now, I don't know if you have anybody in your life who talks to you like that or is honest with you enough about that. But James would be. Wouldn't beat around the bush. He wouldn't counsel you forever. And how does it make you feel? Well, what do you think that means? I mean, you ever, go to, you ever wonder what it would be like to go to James as a counselor? Maybe 20 minutes. He'd be a Dr. Phil. To the point, this is what you need to do. Do it. But that's what I, I, I need every once in a while. I need somebody to walk in my life and say, I'm going to be really, really honest with you. These don't match. What you say you believe and how you live your life on a regular basis and what I see you do on Saturday night or Sunday morning or wherever that may be, how I see you talk to your kids, how I see you respond to your mate, how you see you react to the diversity around you or the lack of diversity around you, I don't see where they match. And every once in a while, I think there are a lot of people who claim Christianity, who claim to be followers of Christ, who go to church on a regular basis, need to be confronted like that. And need to have somebody call them out. James would be the guy to do that. He spoke 2,000 years ago, but I think he would be just as relevant today. 
to a world that says nothing is true, right or wrong, doesn't really matter, it changes all the time anyhow. There are really no right ways to heaven. There are all kinds of ways to heaven. Where abortion and same-sex marriages are okay, where adultery and infidelity are as common as just simply a part of life or an error in judgment. I think James would be a welcome voice in our day. If indeed you claim to be a follower of Christ, I've got to see it lived out. Because the world is desperately dying for an answer to what Christ and religion is all about. No more theology, no more philosophy. Let me see it lived out in your life. Because when I see it lived out in your life, in all the difficulties and ups and downs in life, I'll know that's true. And when you say that God's going to walk you through every valley, and you really come out strong, and you shine in the midst of all the things that don't make sense, and a world that seems turned upside down, and you still remain faithful and committed to your follower, being a follower of Jesus, then I'll know that Christianity is true. Because to be honest with you, I don't see that in many other religions. It was interesting yesterday. I did a funeral in the morning of a couple who had been together for 65 years and then a wedding in the afternoon. So I'm standing in front of this couple, and you've heard me say this before, in the afternoon, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to death do you part? Oh, yeah. And I say to them, you have no idea what you just committed to. And in the morning, when I was doing the funeral, I said to the wife who was still alive, I said, you said that too 65 years ago, and you had no idea what you committed to either. But to watch you in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, and men it till the end, and walk with him till the end, that, I believe. That's what James is looking for. People that are not just spouting theory, but they really are committed to being in the trenches and coming out the other side. James had little patience with people who are walking, talking the talk, but not walking the walk. He had a lot of patience with people who are really trying to figure out how to live out their faith. Because he knows they're going through such deep waters and they want to know what works. James said, folks, I know it's hard. Believe me, I know it's hard. I know you face difficulties and it's not even if, it's when. Because you're going to go through some really dark times. But I want to give you some advice. If you're willing... If you're willing to allow God to do his work, sometimes the refining fire of taking off all the rough edges and the junk in your life that really don't match what you say you are. If you allow God to take you through some really deep waters to shape you and to form you into what he knows you can be. Not what he just wants you to be, but what he knows he, you can be. If you're willing to allow God to do that and stick with it, no matter how hard, I'm telling you, you'll come out the other side shining like gold and you won't believe what then you'll be able to face because you've allowed me to take you through some tough times and some difficult times and shape you and form you and stay with you and grow you and help you and be there for you and give you my word that guides you and my spirit that empowers you and my encouragement that loves you and says I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'll be with you all the way to the end. Even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll be with you. If you trust me in that, I guarantee you, you will come out like you have never imagined. Strong, solid, mature in your faith, ready to face the world. But if you bail, you'll never get there. And you'll be floundering all your spiritual life, running from church to church or issue to issue or problem to problem. And then it's all said and done and you'll look back and say, man, 
I missed a boat. I wish I would have stayed with it. If you're willing to do that, James says, I got some really, really good news for you. You won't believe what you'll look like in the process, through the process, and at the end of the process. But you got to let God do his work. That's where we're going to be for the next nine weeks, not counting today. Don't want you to miss it. I came here 22 years ago, actually this week. And one of the things that